Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. It's The Big Take from Bloomberg News and iHeartRadio. I'm Wes Kosova. Today, the most interesting people in the world. Well, some of them anyway. Each year at this time, Bloomberg Business Week releases the Bloomberg 50. It's a list of 50 people who've done something important, noteworthy, inspiring, or just fascinating. To talk about who's on this year's list and what they've done, my colleague Brett Began joins me from New York. He spent months working on this list with reporters and editors around the world. Brett Began, thanks for being here. Yeah, my pleasure. So, Brett, in November, the world's population passed 8 billion people. How do you go about picking 50 of them? Wow. Well, we start with all 8 billion, and then we <laughs> go to 7. No, um, well, we are fortunate. We have a huge newsroom, and I have at my disposal reporters and editors who know everything about everything. And starting in the spring, really, so we go back to almost June when we start putting this together, we start reaching out to people. They start nominating people that they think are really exemplary for the work that they've done this year. So basically, our goal is to find people who have a metric or a data point from this year that really stands out. So we break the list up into five broad categories. So the first one, since we're Bloomberg Business Week, Wes, we go with business, right? Um, then we have science and technology. We have finance. We have entertainment and then politics. Some of them are names that you know that are doing things that you probably weren't aware of. Some of them are names that may sound new and are doing really incredible things. And then other things, other people are doing totally mind-blowing things that you've never heard about and are crazy, and we get really excited about them and put them on the list. I mean, that is one of the things that I like about this list, that it isn't just like the usual suspects. Yeah, there's some famous people. I think Tom Cruise is on the list this year. But like you say, kind of for an unexpected... Why is Tom Cruise on the list? Well, Tom Cruise is on the list, Wes, because actually Top Gun Maverick is not only his biggest movie ever, but it's the biggest movie of the year. So that's actually a great example of someone who everybody knows, but the sequel to the 1986 movie has taken in about $1.46 billion. I like the way you say about $1.46. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> about $1.46 billion at the box office. So it's the highest grossing film of the year and of his entire career. When you think about like Tom Cruise, you know, think about all the major movies he's had. So for this to be number one all time merited him a spot on the list. What's interesting about Cruz also is he's kind of an exception to the rule because one of the really cool things about this list is 
Um, a lot of these people you just never heard of, and they're doing really interesting things that you wouldn't ordinarily know about. Right. I mean, I think about someone like Nicholas Bloom. Okay, he's a professor at Stanford, and he's on our list this year because he has become the go-to person for companies that are really looking to try to figure out how to deal with return to work, hybrid work models, and more than 100 institutions met with him this year from Wall Street banks to startups to the IMF, really looking for his guidance on how do we manage our workforce. Yeah, that's a big issue. A lot of people, you know, conflicted about having to go back in. Companies want them in. People who are used to working at home from the pandemic, they don't want to go back. Exactly. And someone like Francesca Bellatini, right? That's not a household name. She runs the fashion house St. Laurent. So what's interesting about that, and she's a good example of someone that I like to put on this list, and this is the sixth year we've done it. So she is leading YSL, and they actually had a better year, like year-over-year return, than a lot of other fashion houses and companies that would sort of be in their universe because they were a little bit less dependent on China than some of their competitors were. So she actually had a really good year. She and her team sort of increased sales in the first nine months of this year, more so year over year than they had in the past. And one of the reasons we put this list together and why I like doing this so much and finding people like this is this ties into a larger story. It really is a COVID story. So her success in many ways is not only because people want to buy Saint Laurent clothing, which they do, but they want people to buy more of it, but also because when you're a little bit less dependent on China than your competitors, you have an opportunity to do better. So here at the Big Take Podcast, we have made a list of the Bloomberg Five oh, wow. from the Bloomberg 50 because we just don't have enough time <laughs> to go through the whole list. I encourage everyone to go to Bloomberg.com and see the whole list. But we've chosen five who really intrigued us among the other intriguing people. So the first person on the Big Take B50 list is Aisha Pinky Cole. Can you tell us about her? <laughs> Yeah, so Pinky Cole is the founder and CEO. And I don't know, is this a family program, Wes? It is a family okay. program, but it's in the title. It is in the name. So the name of her restaurant chain is called Slutty Vegan, and they're based out of Atlanta, and she's the founder and CEO. And this is kind of an irreverent burger chain. The names of the burgers are like One Night Stand, things like that. Um, in preparation for this podcast, Wes, I actually went to the Slutty Vegan that opened in Brooklyn. So this isn't just a list. You had to do some serious reporting. That's exactly right. I spent $48 on vegan burgers. It's really known for these overstuffed burgers. They have names, again, like Menage a Trois or Hollywood Hooker. Um, and it started as a single food truck about five years ago, and now it's become a mini empire. Here's Pinky Cole in her own words. There's so many challenges in this industry. When you talk about vegan food, like I am paving the way, right? I am one of those people in a space where I'm creating a lane where it really didn't exist in this capacity. So now you got all these big businesses wanting to open up vegan concepts, which is cool for me because that's more food for me to eat. But then also the ingenuity of it and the organicness of the whole vegan movement gets diluted. So what I'm doing to combat that is monopolizing the market. I'm going to continue to create brands that people can appreciate where they get a really good experience and happen to get really good food that so happens to be vegan. 
The thing that stood out to us about her is in the whole context of plant-based meats, where uh, they had a big splash. Some of those companies, some of the leading companies, are having a really rough time now, where initially they were very popular, and now they're having trouble sustaining those businesses. And she is a pretty big success. And of course, as we talk endlessly about sustainability and about the problems uh, associated with eating meat, both, you know, for your health and environment. These plant-based meats seem like a pretty big deal. And she seems to be catching fire in a way that isn't kind of like penance, like, you know, eat your peas. No, that's exactly right. And that's, that's kind of why she started this is that she's a vegan and she wanted to eat vegan junk food. One of the cool things is that every person on the list has sort of a write-up in the magazine, a reporter goes and says what's interesting. And the person who wrote about Pinky Cole is Kate Crater, who's a Bloomberg food writer in London. And here's what she had to say. Pinky Cole is a force of nature. You see a lot of dynamic people and restaurateurs in the food industry, but not that many that really break out and just attract a crowd and attention and adulation and love up and down the board. And Pinky Cole is that person. At the start of this year, she had basically four locations in um, mostly in the Georgia area. Um, by the end of next year, she'll have at least 20. And one thing that's also great about Pinky is that she opens her restaurants very often in places that are underserved communities. She really has her eyes on the black community. She started a nonprofit that aims to empower people of color who want to get into business and don't always have the connections or know how to start doing it. She really wants to bring more people into it, offer a lot of opportunities to people who haven't always had opportunities. She's not just saying it, she's doing it. And the impact of that is superb. We'll be right back. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Our second person we picked in our slim down list is in the finance category, and it's Dalip Singh. So Dalip Singh, in in February, as a, a top national security advisor to the White House, really played a very central role in efforts to cut Russia off from the global financial system after Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine. Basically, was able to freeze more than half of Putin's $640 billion war chest. This, of course, is a really huge issue because I don't know that there's another event in this year that has had more far-reaching global effects than Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Absolutely not. And he really helped turn Russia into basically the most sanctioned nation on Earth. The reporter who wrote about Dalip Singh is Saleya Mosin, Bloomberg's senior Washington correspondent. And here's what she said. So Putin has built up something like $650 billion that he has stored through his central bank in Europe, in the U.S., and in other currencies. He was building that up so that he would make sure he had a pool of resources to keep funding his war and his invasion as soon as U.S. sanctions came down the pike. What he did not see coming were two things. 
The first one was that the U.S. and the Group of Seven would have the audacity to sanction a G20 central bank. Uh, Russia is still part of the G20. Uh, to cut off a central bank from the global financial system of an economy that provides so much of our food and energy resources had the potential to shake global markets, and they did shake global markets. It showed Russia that the U.S. and American allies are not afraid to stand up to him, even if it's a little bit of self-inflicted pain. And actually, all of us saw that pain. We all experienced it through gas prices. Gas prices went really high. It added to inflation. It made all of our summer vacations more expensive. And it was all to pay for the cost of pushing back against Putin in what some people saw could become World War III. The second thing that Dilip Singh's efforts contributed to was cutting off Russia from a very complicated system called SWIFT, which is basically the Gmail for banks and in financial institutions. When they send money to each other, they need to send messages. And those are secret messages because you don't want other people to know how and when and to who you're moving money to. And the U.S. then led an effort to encourage Europe to join them and tell Russia you cannot use SWIFT anymore. Now, not all of Russia is banned from using SWIFT. Uh, some of their major banks are. But all of this to say that Dilip Singh's efforts that he led and spearheaded brought Russia in the first crucial months of the war to its knees. The ruble fell 30% in the first month. And yes, the ruble has recovered, but the overall picture of the Russian economy is one of devastation, a really large human toll, inflation, people losing their jobs, uh, all because they're cut off from the global system. Okay, Brett, moving on to politics. This is a person who I think a lot of our listeners won't have heard of and has done something really extraordinary, and her name is Park Ji-hyun. Right. So she is an advocate for women's rights in South Korea, which is a nation that's really struggled with sexism and harassment. And she helped attract 11,000 new members, 80 percent of them female, in Seoul alone to the center-left Democratic Party right after the presidential election in March. Park is a young woman, not yet 30 years old. And when the Me Too revelations, Me Too movement uh, was really picking up steam, she got interested in those stories, went to journalism school, and with a partner was able to expose a vicious online spy cam ring. And this ring was blackmailing girls as young as age 12. And these spy cam rings are a real problem. Basically, recording devices are put in bathrooms and locker rooms and film women without their consent. And she was able to infiltrate basically one of these rings and wound up getting a pair of 26-year-old men sentenced to more than 30 years in prison each. That's kind of how she got started. She was doing that anonymously and eventually realizing that in order to have a bigger voice, she needed to sort of make herself known. And she became an advisor to the Democratic Party's candidate in this year's elections. Does she have a political future herself? Do you think that she has an interest in running? So she was named the interim co-chair, which is really like kind of an astounding feat for someone of her age. 
But then the Democratic Party lost local elections. She resigned. She's a writer and an activist, and I have to imagine that there probably is a future for her in politics, but at this point hasn't said exactly what those plans entail. Next on our list is science and tech. And the person who intrigued us is Tom Oxley. This is fascinating. Um, Tom, (laughs) this whole thing is crazy. And I read Ashley Vance's story. He's the reporter on this one um, several times to make sure that I understood this correctly. And I'm still not sure I do. But basically, Tom's company, which is based in Brooklyn, is called Synchron. They are able to implant something into the brain of people who are suffering from ALS, otherwise known as Lou Gehrig's disease. And it's essentially like during a coronary operation, like putting a stent in your heart, they're essentially able to do that in your brain. And in doing that, it gets a signal (laughs) that allows you to basically text using your thoughts. Here's Tom Oxley. The goal of a brain-computer interface is to enable control of a personal device without having to use your hands. That's critical for people who have injury or disease, such as stroke, ALS, spinal cord injury, who are not able to use personal devices like you or I. The way it works is it records the intended action directly out of your brain and then converts that into a Bluetooth signal to control your personal device. We had the FDA approval to kick off the clinical trial. We had to then figure out where we were gonna do this, who was the right patient, who was the right physician. So 2022 became the year when the first patient in the US was implanted with a permanently implanted brain-computer interface. So I was dreaming about how we were going to make that happen, and it has happened. 2022 in one word would be inspiring. Seeing our patients learn how to use the device for the first time, achieve reconnection with their families has been nothing short of life-affirming for the mission that we're on. The to-do list for 2023 is now expanding our clinical trial to include six sites around the world. It's crazy. (laughs) It's like kind of sci-fi come to life. Yes. You mentioned Ashley Vance, the reporter who has written about this. And here's what Ashley said about Tom Oxley. Tom's a really interesting character. He's he's an Australian. He's a medical doctor and he has a PhD in this field. And so he's a bit of a rarity in that he's not just a pure startup tech founder. He has this this deep background in this field. He's taken his company from Australia and, and based it in Brooklyn. And what's indicative of where this field is heading, he's raised tens of millions of dollars in venture capital. And so we've gone from this period where this was this academic pursuit that was progressing very slowly. And now we're seeing these companies get tons of money um, as people rush to this this future that's in the near term about helping people with disabilities, which is amazing. And then, you know, there is this kind of sci-fi, possibly positive, possibly dark future where we're talking about humans with chips in their brain talking to computers and this kind of human machine hybrid. So we'll have to see where all that goes. The, the 
big advantage for Synchron today is the surgery that they use to put this into the brain is much less invasive than something that's being promised by like Elon Musk's Neuralink, where you, you actually have to cut through the skull and implant this computing chip. Synchron goes in through a, a blood vessel in your neck and, and sort of threads this stent in. It's, it's kind of like an outpatient type surgery. Um, in the, the years to come, what the company really wants to do is increase the computing horsepower on its on its brain computer interface to let people do many, many more things. And, and you know, this is going to be no easy task because you're talking about putting these chips on this tiny little device and all these wires, wires in your brain. So that's that's the challenge ahead for this company. We'll be right back. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Brett, the final person on our slim-down list of the Bloomberg 50 is in the entertainment category, and it's Brian Flores. Brian Flores was a head coach for the Miami Dolphins. The Miami Dolphins fired him. He was one of the very, very few black head coaches in the NFL when he was fired. He has since sued the NFL. He's calling attention to what's known as the Rooney Rule, which requires teams to interview at least one black coach that's since expanded to two for a head coaching position. But his point, because of an experience that he had, was that this rule is a sham. The reporter who wrote about him is Ira Boudway. Let's listen to him. When he got fired and they were down to one black head coach left in the NFL, that was Mike Tomlin of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Tomlin hired Flores as a linebackers coach, as one of his defensive assistants, and that's where he is now. You know, Colin Kaepernick, who's mentioned in the case, has been blackballed, or at least many people believe blackballed by the NFL for taking a knee during the national anthem. And uh, there was some sense that Flores, by filing this suit, had sort of made it so he would never coach in the NFL again. But that's not true. He's in. The, he's got an assistant coaching job, which is interesting because part of what this lawsuit alleges is that black coaches they get a different treatment even when they do make it into the league. So they, they, if they fail, they're fired sooner, right? There's a shorter opportunity. They're paid less. And they're less often put into the pipelines that lead to head coaching jobs. So, you know, now he's a defensive assistant, which is what he was in 2008 when he got his first job in the NFL. It's definitely, you know, not what he wants. And it will be very interesting to see whether he becomes a head coach again. The case right now, they're trying to decide whether it will stay in federal court where it was filed or whether it will go into arbitration. Uh, And in the NFL, arbitration is decided by Commissioner Roger Goodell. So Flores' lawyers are saying he's biased, he's prejudged this. The NFL has already said this case is without merit. How could he possibly be the person to rule? The NFL says every coach's contract has language in it that says you go to an arbitrator for something like this. So that's where this belongs. And that's right now, we don't know what kind of what will come next. The basic 
problem has not been solved by the Rooney Rule. And this lawsuit actually has done, in a way, more than the Rooney Rule. So since Flores uh, filed it, we've had Tampa Bay Bucks hired Todd Bowles, who's black. Dolphins, to replace Brian Flores, hired Mike McDaniels, who's biracial. Houston Texans hired Lovey Smith, who's black. And the Carolina Panthers put Steve Wilkes, who's also in this lawsuit, uh, made him their interim head coach. So that's four hires since this lawsuit. So arguably that's because of the public pressure that this lawsuit brought, because it was a very high profile case and teams had to answer for, why aren't you hiring black coaches? So, Brett, I just run into you on the street and I say, hey, the Boomer 50 is out. What's the most interesting thing about it? Like, how would you sum up this year's list? Wow. So I would say the most interesting thing to me is that the far reaching effects of the war in Ukraine. So we have Vladimir Zelensky on the list, obviously. He's the president of Ukraine. Correct. Um, but then you start to think about people like Dalip Singh, who are also really on the list because of the war in Ukraine. And then we have people like Robert Habeck, who is the economic minister of Germany and had to spend much of this time figuring out where else they were going to get energy from. So every year there are stories that pop up that do have these sort of far-reaching impacts on the list, but none, I don't think, in the six years we've been doing this has had more than Ukraine. Brett Began, thanks so much for talking to me today. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to us here at The Big Take. It's a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Read today's story and subscribe to our daily newsletter at Bloomberg.com slash Big Take. And we'd love to hear from you. Email us with questions or comments to BigTake at Bloomberg.net. The supervising producer of The Big Take is Vicki Bergolina. Our senior producer is Katherine Fink. Our producer is Rebecca Shasson. Our associate producer is Sam Gabauer. Hilda Garcia is our engineer. Original music by Leo Sidrin. I'm Wes Kosova. We'll be back tomorrow with another Big Take. What could you do if your data was working for you? and not against you. With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.